How do people get saved? Well, if you've been following us in our morning series, you should, I hope, know the answer by now, if you didn't before. How do people get saved? They're confronted with gospel truth. And let's face it, gospel truth confronts sinners. It, conv- it confronts them with the truth of sin and certain judgment. But it also confronts them with the truth of Christ. The Christ who died for sinners as their substitute, taking their sin and judgment upon himself on their behalf. Because as Christians, we were there with him at Calvary, in him, as he was crucified. Sinners are confronted with the truth of Christ's burial. He was very dead and went to the place where all dead people go, the grave. But it also confronts us with the truth of Christ's resurrection. Because the grave could not hold him. And he rose victorious over death in the power of an endless life. The life in which you now share a part if you're a Christian. Because he is in you. And he's with you. And what brings us into the reality of all of these things? Well, what it isn't is human wisdom or human understanding. Because to the sinful man or woman, these things are just foolishness. They just do not make any sense whatsoever. Most people consider it to be ridiculous. A well-crafted sermon can't do it. A finely debated argument can't do it. They may be the means by which the message of truth is conveyed, but they can't save anyone. That's not how people get saved. God calls them by his spirit. And with his call, he issues light and life into their dark, dead soul. And he brings sight and hearing to blind eyes and deaf ears. And he brings understanding to renewed minds, followed by repentance and faith and a longing for Christ where once there was only rejection and rebellion and even contempt or just a dreadful apathy. And a lost sinner is found by Christ and called home by Christ And in Christ receives all the glorious benefits and privileges and hopes, both for this world and for the world to come. And yet there are those, you know, who having received all of this, being convinced of all of this, still find there are times when they're just not sure. Now, there may be some who've never had that experience and you find it hard to believe that anybody could, but actually it's more common than you think. But you can be sure. And more than that, God wants you to be sure 
of where you stand in Christ. So how can you be sure that you are saved? How can you be sure that you are one of God's children? How can you know that you are one of those persevering ones who we considered a few weeks ago? That you are in Christ and that he is in you. How can you know? Because you can. And God wants you to. And that's what I want to address with you this morning. We're going to begin by asking a question. That The whole thing is simply known as assurance. Can I be sure? Question number one. Is it okay to have it? Talk to lots of people of other faiths. And they'll look at you rather sceptically. That you can talk so dogmatically that you are sure surely none of us can be sure is it not simply arrogant to say that you know where you're going when you die is it not something that requires a very considerable degree of proof before it can be stated with any certainty and how can you prove that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Isn't it surely a mark of God being God that only he can know? Can you? Well, the fact is that in the Bible we discover Christians who speak with absolute certainty of their new identity in Christ, about their new status in Christ, and of all that that means now and for eternity. And probably, of course, the best example, the most well-known example, and the most prolific example is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And he never spoke about Christian experience as being a hodgepodge of ifs, buts, and maybes. Let me give you a few examples. Therefore, having been justified by faith that's a very definite statement we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access into this grace by faith we rejoice in hope of the glory of God he's very definite very sure I am persuaded, he says, there is nothing that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so if he's so sure that there is nothing that will ever be able to, ever be able to separate him from the love of God, then he knows with absolute certainty that he is in the love of God. He writes to Timothy, I know whom, because it's all about a person, remember, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me 
on that day. There's no uncertainty here. And then Paul says, and not just to me, but everyone who's loved the Lord's appearing. We read before the Apostle John at the end of his gospel record, these things are written that you may believe, that you may believe. And that belief is a certain belief. It's a belief that includes trust and a complete reliance upon Christ. Knowing what that will mean for you in this life and for eternity. That believing you will have life in his name. And as we saw at the beginning of our services, we read from 1 John, that first letter that he wrote when he was much older. He deals very much with the issue of assurance in that letter. There are other things woven into it as well, but knowing you get at one of these very helpful apps nowadays where you can do word searches and things through the scriptures and just have a look and see how many times the word know, K-N-O-W, appears in the letter of 1 John. Over and over and over again, he talks about us knowing and being sure and being certain. And he actually says, we know that we know him. He couldn't be more clear, could he? By this, we know that we are in him, he's able to say. These things, again, he mentions, like he did in his gospel, he puts it in his letter, written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life and continue to believe in the name of Christ. And listen to this. This is verse 20 at the end of his letter. We know that the Son of God has come and the Son of God has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. It is Christ's purpose and desire that you should know and be certain and that was part of the reason for his coming into the world. That you may know. That's why he came. That you may know. Do you know? And so we find the Apostle Paul on one occasion in one of his letters, actually he does this several times, having recounted all manner of sinful attitudes and behaviours that are found in all sinful people. Paul is then very happy and confident to say about other Christians, and such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified and justified. And he speaks about it with absolute certainty. Being a Christian, it's something that you should know. It's supposed to be something of which you are certain. It's not meant to be something that you live with in doubt and worry and anxiety for the rest of your days with ifs and buts and maybes. 
you'll find plenty of other people who are religious, who are riddled with ifs and buts and maybes. But not you if you're in Christ. Now, as we've seen in this series, the Christian faith can be carefully defined and explained by a vast array of doctrinal truths, and we can lay them all out, as we've done. And they help to define and explain what the Christian faith is. But your faith and your trust is not in the truths themselves. Your faith and your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom those truths speak, and to whom those truths point. All of those truths are about him. And now you're in relationship with him. You're in fellowship with him. With him as a child, with your father. And you in Christ, and Christ in you, and with you. Here's a question. Can you be in fellowship with someone and not know it? Can you be in fellowship with someone and not know them? There's going to be a wedding in the church in two weeks' time. When they come out of the service, they will know that they are married to one another, won't they? There'll be no vagueness about it. There'll be no ifs, buts, or maybes. Are they Mr. and Mrs.? Or who, who can know? Everybody knows. And you're in fellowship together as husband and wife. And you know. You cannot be in fellowship with someone and not know. Can you? And you're in fellowship with Christ. How can you not know? How can you cry out, Abba, Father, not knowing if God is your Father? This is something that the Bible says you're to be aware of with the whole of your being, with your, your understanding, with your intellect, yes, but more than that, the whole of you, including all of the emotional side of you, knows that God is your Father and responds to him as your Father. As Stuart Olliot gave that title to his little book a few years ago, something that is known and felt. That's relationship, isn't it? Something known and felt. How can you be in relationship with Christ and not know and not feel that that is the, that is the case? You're supposed to know. God wants you to know. Is it okay to have assurance Absolutely, you're supposed to. Do you know that you're in Christ? Do you know that Christ is yours? And what a difference that will make once we're convinced that these things are so. And here is one area of departure from the Christian faith compared to all other sources of religion that you can know. But you might find another question that follows on the issue of assurance. And you might find you're asking yourself this. 
How can someone like me possibly claim it? Maybe that's an issue for you as a Christian. How can someone like me possibly claim it? Because you, perhaps, if we were to talk, and take me back over your past sins, and perhaps, if you were really honest, talk to me about your very recent sins, and recall failings, and times of apathy, and discontent, and any lack of enthusiasm or zeal, temptations that you've given into when you know you shouldn't and if I was being really honest with you I'd be able to recall similar things too as I look back maybe so many compromises that you know you've made while all the time professing to be a Christian and on that basis you think well yeah but how can someone like me have such assurance. There are so many unchristian things in the life of this supposed Christian as you look at yourself in the mirror. So, how can my profession of faith possibly be true? If you've had that experience, if you're going through that experience, you are not alone. Many of the Lord's people have been there. Maybe there are some here who are there right now. You look at yourself in the mirror. You think back about how you've been this last week. How can someone like me possibly have such assurance when I know how I've been living? Or maybe you've read about or you've listened to some remarkable testimony. And that testimony makes your testimony seem so insignificant. And so you feel insignificant as a Christian. Because you don't have a dramatic story to tell. And so you feel you've got no story to tell at all. Don't allow Satan to trick you into that one. And this is why you need to be careful not to hype up someone's testimony in order to try and create a dramatic effect that people will respond to. Read through the New Testament, you'll discover that dramatic conversion stories, as we might perceive them, they're actually the exception, not the norm. How many other people had a conversion experience like Paul? Can you name one? I can't. The reality is, every single conversion is a miracle of God's grace. You, Christian believer, are a miracle of God's grace. Every single one of you. And your testimony counts as much as anybody else's whether it's perceived as being dramatic or otherwise it matters not what you can say that God has done for you in Christ no one can better that no matter who they are no matter what their background 
But nevertheless, you had no such drama in your life. In fact, some of you might not even be quite sure when you were saved. You hear someone, they can stand up and they can give you the time and the day and the date and the year. And you think, oh, I'm not even sure when it was. And maybe you weren't caught up in a heaving quagmire of filth and debauchery before you were saved. And from which you were suddenly and gloriously transformed in a moment. By contrast, your story, well, it just seems so benign. Almost uneventful by comparison. The degree of change, comparatively unremarkable. So can it be true of me that I'm a Christian? You ever been there? Actually, many believers have anxieties like these. In terms of whether or not you are a Christian at all, do not look to anything about yourself. In terms of whether or not you are a Christian at all, do not look to anything in yourself other than what God has done in Christ. Whenever Paul, in his letters, needs to address the failings that he's seen in the lives of Christians or in the, the life of churches, which is frequent and often because we all have failings, he always does it, first of all, by reminding them of the criteria by which they became Christians in the first place. Have you noticed that in the opening of his letters? I mean, the most glorious possibly is Ephesians, the opening verses of Ephesians. But he always reminds them of the facts of their salvation as they are in Christ. He always lays that out first. He reminds them as Christian people what God has done for you in Christ. And with that established, then and only then does he proceed to deal with any of the problems and failings and issues that they're having. Because whilst you might not be living out your faith as you should be, that is not what determines whether you are actually a Christian or not. And that's really important to get hold of. You may be a poor example of what a Christian should be. Maybe you are. Maybe you are a poor example of what a Christian parent should be. Or a Christian student. Or employee. Or employer. Or neighbour. Or son. Or daughter. Or brother. Or sister. Or even church member. Maybe you are a poor example of how a Christian should be in any or all of those circumstances. And if that's the case, it should be something that grieves you. And maybe there are things you need to repent of. But it does not follow that you, therefore, cannot be a Christian at all. It doesn't follow. There are certain things that you ought to be doing as a Christian. There are certain ways that you ought to be living as a Christian. But it's not the doing of them that makes you a Christian, is it? It's not the doing of them that makes you a Christian. 
yes, but if I was a Christian, I wouldn't be doing these things and I wouldn't be doing that and I wouldn't be like this. There's your problem. There's your problem. The problem is not that you have a wrong view of how a Christian should live. A Christian should live a life of godly obedience and holiness and service and everything that goes with it. But whether or not you are a Christian or not is not determined by those things. If you are a Christian who's not living as you should be, the problem is not that you may not be a Christian. The problem is that you're not living as you should be. Let me say that again. If you are a Christian who's not living as you should be, the problem is not that you may not be a Christian. The problem is that you're not living as you should be. So start. That's what Paul would say, the Apostle Paul. So start. And what's the solution? Well, actually, it's to do what Paul does when he writes his letters, and it's to see again that actually you are a Christian. You are a Christian. And actually, that will go a long way to putting right everything that you've currently got wrong. Because you'll find yourself saying, yes, I am a Christian. So why do I live like that? So you can find yourself in one of two positions. You can either say, how can I live like that? Oh, I mustn't be a Christian. Or you can say, yes, I am a Christian. So why do I live like that? Do you see the difference? And then there's a fresh determination to press on and to put things right and to come back again in repentance and faith, which is the constant position of every believer. Repentance and faith, repentance and faith, left, right, left, right, walking with Christ, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, and on, on you press. When you have doubts over your salvation... Here's the question to ask yourself. Start with this one. Have I been reconciled to God? Has the rift between me and God been mended? And on what basis? Start there. Have I been reconciled to God? And on what basis? Let me ask you a few questions. Are you reconciled to God by the type of experience you had in your conversion? Are you? Now see, some of you still aren't sure. You will be by the time we get to the end. Are you reconciled to God by the type of experience you had in conversion? No. No. Are you reconciled to God because he's sufficiently pleased in the level of progress you've made? No. Are you reconciled to God only for as long as there are no inconsistencies in your life? No. Has someone else lived the righteous life that you could never live? Yes. Has someone else died for you 
the death that you deserve to die? Yes. Has someone else paid your penalty that you should have paid? Yes. Has someone gained the victory over sin and death so that you also may triumph over them? Yes. Do you love him who gave himself for you and first loved you? Do you? Yes. Do you love him? You know that your only hope is Christ and turning from your sin to trust in him? Do you know it's your sins laid on him and his righteous la righteousness laid upon you and God the Father seeing you in him and him in you? Do you know? Do you know that this is what has reconciled you to God? Do you? You're a Christian, aren't you? So live like one. You have assurance. So why do you live like you live now, if that's an issue? And maybe sort it with your Lord and Saviour right now. Right now, in the quietness of your own heart, repent of your sins. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive you your sins and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness so that you can get on and live for him as you should because you are a Christian. One final point. about assurance, false reasons for having it. Because some people are cocksure that they're okay. And actually, they're far from okay. The other side of the coin is being sure that you must be saved when actually you're not. Lord, Lord, the things we have done in your name. Surely, Lord, the evidence is overwhelming. Will there be a few or many like that? Many. Many. On whose authority do we have that? Jesus said it. The Lord Jesus Christ said it. When people say to him, but Lord, look. He said, many will come to me saying these things. And the Lord's reply will be, I never knew you. I never knew you. 
They were never saved. They were never called with a holy calling. They were never in God's purpose. Never was God's grace given to them in Christ before time began. Never were they chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Because if any of those things were true, then they would be saved. They were never among those whom the Father had given to the Son. They have not obtained an eternal inheritance. He never knew them. This little doctrine hasn't been made up by some stuffy old cleric in a dusty Bible college somewhere. Jesus said it. By what means are people deceived and misled? Because that's what's happening. They're being deceived and misled. It's the work of the evil one to give people false assurance. The devil is very happy in people who aren't Christians thinking they're Christians. His work's done. Well, such people believe they have many gifts or certain gifts or perhaps especially so-called miraculous gifts and they must be God-given and they must be proof that they belong to Christ. They believe that because they've done things in Christ's name, invoking Christ's name, using Christ's name, they must belong to Christ. Or perhaps even because you go through certain religious routines, no matter what the name of the religion or the denomination you do it under, or because you meet regularly amongst those who are Christians. I just must be. I just, mustn't I? I just must be. And please note, the same can be true in the case of belief. We've just done a long series and we've looked at certain Christian doctrines. Lord, Lord, look at the list of doctrines I believe to be true. But you can know Christian doctrine inside out and remain a complete stranger to the Christ of whom those doctrines speak and a complete stranger to the Christ to whom those doctrines are pointing. For all that you do know, you don't know him. And he never knew you. But you see, in those who are known to Christ, his spirit has been at work. And if you are one who is known to Christ, and if you are in him and he is in you, God's Spirit has been at work in you. And God's Spirit has done his work in you. And God's Spirit has convicted you of your sins. And he's caused you to flee to Christ. Because you can see that in the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who truly is the only one who can possibly be the way and the truth and the life. And you are convinced above everything else that no one can come to the Father except through him. And I can't come to the Father except through him. And there is no other way. And that he is my only hope in this world and for heaven. And no, maybe you're not the follower that you know you should be, but you're clinging to him and you're clinging to his grace and you're trusting in him in repentance and you're relying upon him day by day by day in faith.
and you despise the sins that still trouble you. But you realize afresh, even this morning, that it's for these very sins for which he bled and died. And you just find yourself humbled at the cross once more in repentance, assured of his forgiveness and assured of his ongoing cleansing. And so you can rejoice and you can sing, mine, 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 I know you are mine. Can't you? And by his spirit he assures you again that whilst you are but a pot of clay, there is a treasure within it. And that treasure is Christ himself in you, with you, always. And by his spirit, God does a work in your soul and you cry out, Abba, Father, and you mean it from the very depths of your being because that's God's spirit witnessing with your spirit that you are a child of God and you know it. You know it. You know in the depths of your soul that you're his child and all the promises of the scripture bring you that reassurance day by day. You know you're in Christ and you know that because of Christ you stand before God reconciled and justified and at peace with him. Like Paul, you know whom you've believed and you are persuaded. You might not yet be the Christian you long to be. But you know, you know. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you know that by believing in him, you now have life in his name. You know that you are known by him. You know that you know him. And will forever. That's the assurance that only Christ can bring. That's the assurance that only a Christian can claim. And this morning, Christian friends, if you know him and if you love him, he is yours and you are his forever.